Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm reviews editor Sherlyn Lowe, and my regular co-host Devendra Hardwar is out on vacation. How dare he take a break? But joining me all the way from San Francisco today is senior mobile editor Chris Velasco. Hello, V. Hi. It's good to be back. It's been a while since I've done this. It's very nice of you to join us when it is 7 a.m. in San Francisco it's now. It's 7 a.m. I'm recording in a closet. It's I'm living my best life. But actually, I, I feel like we did kind of live our best life this week. Man, we did. Uh, this week, we're going to talk all about what we found out uh, in San Francisco from Samsung's Unpacked event at the Palace of Fine Arts. In case you haven't heard, there are four whole new phones from Samsung. We're going to dive into that in a little bit. And speaking of phones, the biggest phone show in the world has been canceled. Mobile World Congress is no longer happening. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we were we were together when we found out about this, right, V? I it feels almost embarrassing to say this because at the end of the day, it is literally a trade show, a you know multi day event where we kind of kill ourselves working. But I have a ton of feels about this. We'll we'll get to all your feels in a little bit. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and leave us a review because how else will we know whether you like or dislike us? This week, the reason Chris uh, and I were in San Francisco is Samsung had its unpacked event in, uh, yeah, in the city, I guess, of Angels. Is that what y'all call San Francisco? No, that's no? incorrect. That's Los oh, Angeles. That's L.A. <laughs> <laughs> You're only off by basically the entire length of the state. Um, but they held it in this gorgeous venue in San Francisco, the Palace of Fine Arts. Um, I remember my parents have a picture in front of it, I'm pretty sure that was their honeymoon. It was nice to go over there and enjoy the beautiful weather for a bit and watch Samsung show us, what was it, like three new regular phones and one new folding phone? Yeah, I mean, we're used to Samsung showing off a lot at Unpacked events, which are by themselves just like completely reliant on over-the-top spectacle. So it was a very busy day, to say the least. 
Not to mention, like, we usually get, like, a briefing ahead of time just to, like, you know, help us prep better for our articles so that they look nice and we're not rushing and scrambling to get assets from the show floor. Um, But we still were there because Samsung had, you know, obviously surprises that they wanted to show us. And Chris Velasco and I run or do the Engadget Live blog, which is always a lot of fun, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy them. I... So when we do live blogs, I am almost always the person who does the photos just because I've done it for so long. And every time I do it, something goes wrong in some little way that makes at least half of it just like a total panic nightmare for me. But this was actually one of our better ones, I think. I mean, I know you had some trouble midway through. I was just banging out words and like scrambling to get like transcribing everything that everyone was saying. Um, But I noticed halfway through that you were asking for help from the team. It was... I felt bad for you. Yeah, so we use a Canon 6D for our live blog photos because it's it's what I use. I have it. I'm very used to it. And sometimes, most of the times, it works absolutely fantastically. And 20% of the time, it's total garbage. And it mm. was very much garbage at the beginning of the show yesterday. But oh. I do want to point out, I wasn't the only one having trouble. Your battery was on the way <laughs> out. <laughs> oh my god, my laptop basically died. But anyhow, we I mean, we were there to watch Samsung show us what their I guess the first flagships of 2020, uh the Galaxy S20, the S20 Plus, and the S20 Ultra, which I think is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, V, but I think it's the first time that Samsung's launched like three uh flagships at the same time, one of which being an advanced model, not not like a light model, right? Yeah, so Samsung referred in our conversation with them to the Galaxy S20 Ultra as the pro-grade phone. And historically, they've been more than happy to just use all of that language and save that slot in its lineup for the Galaxy Notes, which usually come out in the summer. Last year, we saw three versions of the Galaxy S10, but to your point, one of them was like the S10e, so a very sort of inexpensive but still flagship quality device that basically meant to give people modern Android and modern smartphone features at a more reasonable price. And this year could not be any more different in in Samsung's approach. Okay, so how do you feel overall about the S20 series? Because I got my own thoughts, but but let's let's start with yours. You're the expert. I got to tell you, I walked away from those phones this week feeling pretty uh, pretty nonplus. The, these are perfectly fine devices. And I think now that the era of 5G is upon us, I think they've like really reset the foundation of their flagship platform right so like every version of these devices has 5g every one of them has this crazy space zoom feature made possible Mm. by some ambitious cameras which has always kind of been samsung's thing but they really seem to be focusing on it hard this year they want Mm -hmm. to give people a pretty consistent experience across the board with this like random outlier super expensive premium premium phone for people who really want the best of the best i think that itself is smart do I think as devices, as you know, concrete steps up from what we're used to, are they that interesting? Uh, I, I'm not sold on that so much, but I'm curious to hear what you think. I mean, I'm with you. I think we, as you were writing your um, hands on up, we were kind of sitting in the hotel lobby together or something, and, and we were trying to touch base and make sure we were on the same page. I And we are. <laughs> I don't know. I, I it's hard for me to get excited about like the candy bar, the like the flat phones that are not the folding phones anymore because those are the ones that excite us these days. But for me, it's like, what's bi- what's the big deal about the S20? Is the 
big new cameras i guess and honestly in our testing the zoom didn't look that great so far i wasn't very impressed also i don't need to get a 30 times zoom even though i live on like the 30th floor of a building in slightly outside of new york city i don't feel the need to use a 30 times zoom camera ever so i don't know i feel like this is it's a lot of engineering achievements but i'm not sure of the practical applications yet I've been working on a review recently, the Razor, that sort of has forced me to think more about innovation versus practicality. And I think these Galaxy devices are a really interesting example of that, too. Like, are they practically better than the phones that we had last year? Yes, I think so. Will people who didn't buy last year's phone really benefit from buying this year's phone? Yes, absolutely. I think we as tech reviewers and, and as phone reviewers, at least in my case specifically, there's a tendency to get too wrapped up in the year-to-year change. But as many companies have told us this year, people are likely to hold onto their smartphones for basically longer than ever right now. So I think this is Samsung hitting the reset button saying, okay, this is what the flagship is now. If you want something older, you don't need any of this. You can buy the S10, which we just price cut, or any of the other cheap phones that we have out there, of which there are very many. But if you want premium performance, this is now the baseline. And that and that sort of shift is, I think, also reflected in the name, right? Like, we're not going S11. This is not an incremental thing, at least as far as Samsung is concerned. This is the new normal for them. Is that why they changed the name, by the way? Because I just thought it was to align with the year. Look, man, like, Samsung is never officially confirmed. I'm sure we could probably get some sort of, like, snarky comment from them about it. But no, I, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, we don't have an official reason. Well, so, okay, you mentioned that, like, um, it's a, it's a, an upgrade for those who are holding on to phones. So I think a lot of the reason people upgrade to phones or upgrade their phones is their battery is probably dying, like, really just ha- not going to hold out any longer. And despite packing pretty big batteries, uh, the S20s, we don't know yet, and we can't say yet exactly about their battery life, but... They have features that sound like they're going to drain battery life, right? 5G, especially if we're talking about, you know, the fact that they now are going to support millimeter wave, um, might might really sap your juice. And then also, another of the standout features of these phones is that they have the high refresh rate of 120 hertz at 1080p. And if you have that turned on all the time, which is, by the way, something you can, you know, uh, activate if you want or not. But if you have that turned on all the time, obviously, I think your battery's going to die too. So what uh, what do you think the trade-off... I mean, okay, again, again, we don't know a lot about the battery life, like the actual battery life. Right. To but... be clear, we do not have this phone. We have not been like secretly testing this thing in a back room. <laughs> like It's very much a process of discovery. Yeah, and we're still speculating again about the battery life because like it, these are features that they've added in, but the trade-off might be the battery life, right, V? I mean, do you think that we're we should expect good battery from these things. Like we on the high end at the S20 Ultra, we're getting 5,000 milliamp hours, which is big, right? It is big. It's definitely among the biggest you'll see in a phone that has any kind of significant brand awareness. There are others. The Moto G7 Power had like a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. And I think one of the new devices Motorola announced this past week does as well. So Mm. it's becoming more common as a necessity, but the S20 Ultra and really the big batteries we're seeing in the S20s are absolutely necessary because This 5G is going to kill your battery. These 120 hertz refresh rate screens will kill your battery. I I don't know. I think what will be really interesting to see over time is how the balance kind of shifts. Like 5G probably won't be a huge issue if you're just kind of home on your Wi-Fi all day. It's going to be that screen, that big 
beautiful screen just kind of sapping that power. But once you're out in the real world, and especially if you're using like the S20 Plus and the S20 Ultra have the broadest 5G support of the three devices. They have support for sub-6 networks and millimeter wave. And depending on your carrier, you might be getting a little bit of one in one place and a little bit of another somewhere else. I think it's going to be really curious to see 5G in action and what that does to these batteries. I feel like Samsung is being a little overly cautious here. Do we need batteries this big? We don't know, but let's play it safe. I mean, I guess what um, the takeaway is just about the battery numbers itself is that, yeah, they sound like they're very big, but do remember that there's a lot of new features in these phones that may make it so that you don't get more battery than you'd expect, I think. You mentioned the displays being big and lovely. I think well, on the top end of the Ultra, we're seeing a 6.9 inch screen, which is basically seven inches, which is pretty freaking huge. And let's be clear, the Galaxy S20 is a chunky boy. Like if you don't have massive hands, or are not comfortable with the idea of sort of like shimmying your hands up and down this big, thick phone, then just just stay away. Like, it's not worth the $1,400. It's going to, like, wreck your hand. It is a lot. This is, this is like, we, we've seen a lot of other smartphones trend towards minimalism in recent years, and this is, like, the most maximal phone I've ever seen. I would like to just shout out to the fact that you said Chonky Boy, and it's also, I think, one of the first times, maybe the first time we've seen that phrase on an article on Engadget. I do not think it was edited out. I I do not think it was either. I would have added it back in if it was. Uh, I should also <laughs> point out for our big old inner friends, this is a uh, thick with like with like seven C's. Like this is the th- this is crazy how thick this thing is. It's thick. It's thick. <laughs> it's thick. It's dense. Yeah. It's just it's just excess. It's excess personified. So. I'm way more interested in the other phone that Samsung unveiled, the Galaxy Z Flip. It's, oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's like, I... I I really like this thing. We like this thing a lot. Both you and I, I mean, you've been playing with the Motorola Razr, which is a very similar style of phone. It's basically, I think anyone that's listening to this podcast remembers what a Razr Flip phone, hopefully, is. And this is basically the same deal, except for the screen on the inside spans the whole vertical space so you're not working with like a numpad and half a screen and samsung released the z flip which is basically the same thing but better right v so i'm working on a motorola review right now and we'll we'll probably touch on that at some point but i gotta say i feel so bad for motorola right i know now. oh like my they, gosh they went through like 26 iterations of the razor hinge like they they're not a company hugely known for doing this like wild eyed stuff but they went for it and they made this thing and then like a week later samsung walks out with a phone that has like the exact same you know conceptual design that made the mm-hmm. razor so interesting but with better specs and a cheaper price and a glass screen which is so much more of a game changer than you might assume just hearing me say that you and I get why that's a big deal, but you know, other people who don't cover foldable phones all the time might not know that so far they've been using like plastic screens and to get glass to fold is a whole feat of like engineering that almost defies physics. And but somehow Samsung was able to do it. Like and that has a lot of impact on the overall durability of this device. And to to like for the both of us who held this in our hands this week. Yo, the Z Flip feels sturdy, right? I want to circle back to the durability thing because you bring up a really good point. The flexible sort of soft plastic OLED screens that we've seen in devices like the Galaxy Fold, the Huawei Mate X, and the Motorola Razr are far and away 
the biggest point of failure for for devices like these, for foldables. The hinge is probably up there too, but you know, if you see your big, beautiful screen on the phone that you spent, frankly, a lot of money for, take a beating, that will not fill you with confidence. So what Samsung has done here, and they're being very secretive about this. They've talked about how it's quote-unquote ultra-thin glass, mm-hmm. but, I mean, look, this is a feat of, like, material science excellence. They're not going to be talking about the specifics very widely, but that's almost okay. Like, I, I this feels anathema to my whole thing, but I, I'm almost okay not knowing how it works as long as I get to feel that because it feels like you're using a regular phone. And in this case, yeah. feeling like a regular phone is the best possible scenario. And, like, the, the reason a plastic OLED is your biggest point of, like breakdown for those other folding phones is that like yeah that's the plastic screen is why you know a little bit of debris caught in between the two halves of the folding screens will just like screw it up real bad and scratch it whereas flexible glass won't get scratched as easily you can put it in your purse more you know um, assuredly I guess I mean this means a lot I think for the future of folding phones that Samsung's gonna make and already from what we can tell it just, it, like you said, feels like a regular touch screen. And it doesn't have like, to be clear, it doesn't fold completely shut either. There just is a very, very tiny gap between the two halves when you do fold it. And I don't know V, but I didn't notice as much of a crease. Is that because of the glass, you think? There's So there's definitely still a crease. It is, yeah. I, I don't know whether it's because of like the material properties of the super thin glass or if Samsung just sort of figured out something with the hinge design that means it doesn't sort of dip in as much as it used to, we're not sure. But you're right. The crease yeah. is not nearly as noticeable as it was on the Fold. But I think that's also because the plastic material that you'd find on a Fold or a, or a razor, that mm-hmm. just it, it allows for the flex. It allows for that sag where the mm-hmm. hinge might be. And it's just like a natural consequence of those softer screens, which I am perfectly fine to say goodbye to. And also, the Galaxy Z Flip is cheaper than the Moto Razor for being a better phone, right, V? That's that's like- maybe the part that kind of gets me the most, right? So the Motorola Razor is a $1,500 phone with a camera, battery, and processor that generously speaking, you would find in a $400 smartphone. And that's, that's on the outside. There Ugh. are probably things that kind of fit that bill under the $400 mark. $1,500 yeah. for that. That kills me. With, at least with the Galaxy Z Flip. I don't know how much of the Galaxy Z Flip pricing strategy was basically just Samsung giving Motorola like the biggest possible middle finger. But whatever, they did it. And you are getting, at least in terms of performance, a seriously stronger device. It has a Snapdragon 855, last year's flagship processor, 8 gigs of RAM. It has two cameras on the outside, both 12 megapixels. One's a wide and an ultra-wide, so you get just a level of camera flexibility that you're not going to get out of the Razer. We haven't tested the cameras much, so quality is a bit of a question mark, but everything on paper that the Z Flip has and everything that we ourselves have experienced with the Z Flip... (laughs) Basically have killed the razor. I'm I oh, feel yeah. so bad for these guys. They tried really hard. RIP uh, razor. But uh it's the, the the Galaxy Z flip will cost like what thirteen eighty, so hundred and twenty dollars less than the Moto. And you can already buy it as of the time you're listening to this podcast. I'm curious to see how this launch goes too, because I don't know how tuned in you were to the razor launch uh last week, but basically 
if you wanted a razor and didn't pre-order one and have it randomly show up on your doorstep a couple days before it was supposed to, you were kind of SOL. Like, we knew people yeah. running out to Jersey City from Manhattan trying to claim, like, the only razor that this one Verizon store had. This launch has been so frustrating for people who cared about razors. And it, it, I find it deeply, deeply ironic that this, like crazy quest for a phone that people seem really excited about will ultimately end in a phone that is not objectively speaking that great if samsung botches this the way motorola did we're not going to hear the end of it for a little while it's not going to be a galaxy fold level disaster but it is going to send a pretty clear signal that at least in terms of supply chain and production and and just the the last mile right the the actual process Mm -hmm. of getting people phones that they care about the foldable side of the industry might not be super ready for it yet um, yeah, I, I mean, if you've ordered a motor razor and you still haven't gotten the phone, cancel your order. If you ordered a motor razor and still haven't gotten your phone, please reach out to us. We want to know. We want to know how bad yeah. this is. How how much regret you're feeling right now. Um, okay, we talked, to, I mean, I, I kind of want to just shout out really quickly to the hinge in the Z Flip as well, right? Because we talked a lot about the flexible glass display, but there's also, um, fibers, built into the hinge to prevent debris from getting in and it's i I think they're calling it a fiber guard or a fiber shield it's basically like a mesh a row of like fibers like the things you use to sweep your keyboard with and um that's built into the hinge and i don't know that like any other phone with like a hinge like this has been built this way before yeah i'm not aware of one if one exists and i mean like I don't know that this is exactly the kind of approach that we're going to see everyone adopt going forward, but there will be something there, right? The hinge is yeah. obviously the biggest point of ingress. The razor is particularly weird in that when you close the phone, the screen slightly lifts off. So mm. something could slide in under there and potentially screw things up. But with a device like the Z Flip, with the sort of reinforced caps that we saw in the Galaxy Fold that that's being used here as well, and with the fiber guard, That should be much less of an issue. Whether fiber is like the right way for everyone remains to be seen. But I'm glad Samsung did something because this was by far the thing we were worried about the most when the Galaxy Fold shipped. I'm so thankful that the Galaxy Fold style phone is maybe hopefully a thing of the past because that like little four point something inch screen on the front of it really didn't make any sense for me on the Galaxy Z Flip. Uh, when you fold shut the phone, there is a 1.1 inch panel on the outside on the, on the what they're calling the cover display, and it will show you your like status symbols. If you've got an Instagram notification, it'll like pop up for a little bit and scroll so you can see what your I don't know your boyfriend commented on your picture maybe, and then you can swipe it away. Like that little 1.1 <laughs> inch window is touch sensitive. You can also use it as a viewfinder for taking a selfie with when the phone is closed too, if you want. But obviously that's going to be difficult because it's, again, just a one-inch screen. This is the one thing I think that Samsung maybe didn't do as well as Moto because Moto has like a slightly bigger screen on the outside, right? Yeah, it's got a uh, 2.7-inch touch-sensitive panel. And it's really interesting to hear you keep saying, you know, this is a one-inch screen on the outside of the Galaxy Z Flip. I, I mean, I distinctly remember holding this thing and like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's an inch, right? Like most of the time, all you will see there is the time and maybe like one or two notification icons. It felt so much smaller than an inch that I honestly wonder what real value people are going to get out of this aside from quickly checking the time, which kind of raises another point for me, which is that and Sherlyn, I'm 
I would love to hear what you think about this. Yeah. I, I think the Z Flip looks pretty boring. Like it's a tremendously oh, it's a tremendously wow. impressive device and it looks like a Game Boy Advance SP which is great but it's like super nondescript it's I, I doesn't I, it doesn't do much for me. There's I no personality. I think the personality comes in the in the finish. I think the mirror the, they're naming all their colors mirror purple, mirror black, whatever. I I think that they've taken some inspiration from a compact like a foundation case. Uh but I would use it as a mirror when I'm taking a selfie or whatever. It it feels like the they didn't think very hard about um, being creative with the design just yet. They put on, they put a very nice, you know, material on the outside, and they're hoping. I guess thirteen eighty. That's what you get. Maybe like the Galaxy Z Flip Two. Maybe will cost fifteen hundred dollars and look much nicer. Maybe a bit more droid like. I don't know. But yeah, I agree with you that it's a little boring. It's very rectangular, and there's nothing very inspiring about the design. But I think again, technologically, because it's so impressive. I expect people will forgive that. I think people, I think it fits nicely in the hand, in the pocket because it folds and then everything else about it, people are just going to live with. Yeah, Samsung made a lot of stuff and they've showed, they threw a lot of devices at us this week. Uh, Not to forget the Galaxy Buds Plus were also announced really quick. Um, It's like a new version of the truly wireless earbuds that Samsung already makes. You can charge it from your phone because if you put the charging case with the buds in them on a galaxy s10 or an s20 uh you can draw power from the phone that's nice cool they're also the new buds are um you know slightly better sound quality they have mics in there for phone calls but they don't have active noise canceling they'll cost what like 149 dollars uh and they go on sale on valentine's day as well so you know if you've been Looking for Samsung Buds and you wanted an upgrade, these might be good. I haven't listened to my review unit yet, so I don't know exactly how much better they are. But again, truly wireless earbuds are the thing that every big company is going to try to make. So I wasn't too surprised by these. No, it was a logical upgrade. The Galaxy Buds, to their credit, the original Galaxy Buds were actually pretty good. Like, I, I... I'm very much an AirPods person. I know that's probably controversial to just like cop to right now, but <laughs> they're they're very good for what they are. And the Galaxy Buds were very, very close. I think some of the interesting stuff that Samsung has going here is sort of improved uh, audio quality, the Spotify integration, which I think is very interesting for them because cool, I guess. It's probably a smart choice, but who wants to who needs that really, right? Like I just just pick up your dang phone. Like some things don't need to be changed just for the sake of being changed. But to your point, like everyone, every smartphone company also needs to make money off of non-smartphone things. That's why Apple has the AirPods. That's why Huawei has the FreeBuds or whatever those things are called. These things, right. whether whether or not they're great, almost doesn't matter because they will sell. Samsung will almost certainly include these with versions of its devices in the future. Cool. Great. Raise raise yeah. the Raise the bar here a little bit. Why not? Uh, you know what we're not going to see this year, though? Mobile World Congress. Sherlyn, I'm, I'm in a closet now, and I'm so sad. 
this happened this week. Actually, it happened yesterday. Uh, the GSMA officially canceled this conference. I think this is a big deal. Think of it like, you know how we were talking about CES for like two weeks or so? This is like the CES for phones and mobile devices. And canceling it is a huge deal. Like, I don't know if I remember MWC ever being canceled before. Mobile World Congress was canceled because of growing concerns over the coronavirus outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I a lot of the companies, a lot of the people, a lot of the just sort of general staff at the show are Chinese or are, are there on behalf of Chinese companies. So there's a lot of, of concern there. I think the GSMA released some numbers. Last year, there was something like 110,000 uh, attendees, about five to 6,000 of which mm. were from China. So that's that's not a huge number, but it's a decent slice of the MWC population. So there is a pretty big debate going on right now about whether the GSMA pulled the trigger too soon and just sort of gave into this rising sense of panic and burned all of its partners who spent millions of dollars, millions of dollars, and also just the time needed to align their product launch strategy with an event that happens this time every year. People are concerned that this might be the last ever MWC. Let's track this a little bit, right? Because there's more that happened uh, in the weeks prior that I think led to this happening more than the GSMA, you know, just up and deciding to cancel over fears of coronavirus. Really what happened was that big companies started dropping out of the show. And to your point, V, these were companies that were from China, like ZTE uh, decided to pull its press conference, although the company was still planning on being there. Uh, and then we also heard like companies like Xiaomi were pulling out. Um, well, v, what was one of the big ones that pulled out early? I forget. Yeah, so let's start from the beginning. I think LG was the very first company to say, you know what, coronavirus, like, nah, man, we're not going to do this. We're done. I think that same day, depending on who you talk to, you might have heard about ZTE canceling its press conference from there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, LG, they're maybe not, like, the biggest, flashiest name in, like, premium smartphones anymore. So there might be a tendency for for people like us to not pay quite as much attention to them. But, I mean, they do network stuff. They do phones at all stripes. They do accessories. Like, they're a big player in this this event. So for them to pull out relatively early on, I think just kind of gave everyone else the freedom to do what a lot of them are probably at least strongly considering anyway. So after that... Yeah, I think Xiaomi dropped out. Uh, more recently, uh, Vivo, Oppo, companies that are mainstays of the show, many of which are HMD, of Chinese Nokia. extraction. Yeah, the list goes on. Like Basically, there were just, at, at the end of it, a handful of companies that had still committed. I think Lenovo was still into it. TCL might still be going to Barcelona even now yeah. just because, basically. Also, I think Huawei was still planning on being there, perhaps, uh, because we were still booked for briefings. And Huawei would have been one of the biggest names and one of the biggest reasons to still go because they often, you know, launch their flagship phone for the year at MWC. And now basically all our plans are kind of up in the air. I mean, officially you and I aren't going anymore. That means that we're going to still have to take a lot of the briefings that we were slated to take in New York anyway and still cover the show but not go to Barcelona. And I think this is where the concerns over MWC no longer being a thing are starting to rise. If we can do it without even being in Barcelona, then what is the point, right? 
So I just want to shout out really quickly a tweet that I saw this week from Alex Doby uh, over at Android uh, Central. He posted a poll asking, what's most dead this week? And your three options were the Moto Razor, MWC, or Andy Rubin's Essential. And the results are in. After 175 votes, MWC is the most dead this week. Um, sad, sad news, but what a way to sum up this week, eh? God, we didn't even talk about Andy Rubin stuff, which is a, a huge conversation unto itself. But like, yeah, this this has been a packed week. It's a, it's a week of funerals. So RIP everything in phone world. RIP everything we used to love. I think the saddest part of it for me is not being able to hang out with everyone that I was hoping to hang out with, uh, like David Mo from Android Authority, like um, Daniel Bader from, what was it, Android Central. Uh, we love these people. We were making plans to all hang out and get drinks after covering some trade show t- uh, stuff. And now we're no longer able to do that. And these are people not like we don't see all the time, right? Dan Bader is from Canada. Um, I have a bunch of friends in London and in other parts of Europe that I was hoping to see at MWC. So for us, it's sad. Speaking of of people that we've like met and grown to love at MWC, Narav Gandia, editorial director at Mobile Nations right now. I met him on a airport terminal. So he he has like status. He's like a crazy traveler. Like he's one of those guys. I had flown in from New York to London and I it was the last flight and I had the first flight out. So I had to sleep in the terminal. So oh, I'm like I'm a hot I'm just like a mess it's gross for me i've been and there. i sort of wander yeah so i wander over to the terminal it's like seven in the morning and arav comes over he's all chippery just tweeted like hey i've just been in the lounge it's fabulous yeah. like all of this stuff and it's we fabulous meet. darling that's how it's he fabulous said darling. It. darling and we and we just sort of like cross paths for the first time this this is a man that i love like he's a great human i never would have met him because of that show i met his boss for the first time because i had known some of the android authority guys for for quite some time at that point uh darcy who is is just a. Uh, He's he's maybe the biggest bon vivant I sort of knew <laughs> at that time in in the mobile industry. He yeah. we had never met. He looks at me. He says, "Hey man, it's really good to meet you. I hear you've been taking care of my guys. I appreciate it." Shakes my hand and like very subtly palms me like a tiny bottle of Grey Goose <laughs> that I assume he got on the plane. Like these are people that do not cross your paths in real life. And and when you find opportunities to expand your world by meeting them at things like this, you can't help but be grateful for it. I remember my first time meeting Darcy was in an airport too. You and I had just landed. It was my first. I think this MWC was was this not the same thing? Gadget. It might have been the same. No, it wasn't because I wasn't. I had just landed. I hadn't slept in an airport for a, like a while before that happened. So you're thinking of another time, maybe. Maybe, maybe Darcy just goes around palming people alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does. And now for something completely different, Taika Waititi on the thing LA screenwriters need most. Apple needs to fix those keyboards. Though they are impossible to write on. They've, got, they've gotten worse. It makes, me, it makes me want to go back to PCs because PC keyboard, the bounce back on, for your fingers is way better. And hands up who still uses a PC. You know what I'm talking about. It's a way better keyboard. And those Apple keyboards are horrendous, especially as the computers, as the, as the laptops get newer and newer, the keyboards are worse. We've just got to fix those keyboards. WGA needs to step in and actually do something. 
So the keyboards were actually fixed in the late 2019 MacBook Pros, but if you're still salty about this, please email us your thoughts and any other feedback about the podcast to podcast at engadget.com. All right, V, so I'm back in New York and I recently just published a story about how many damn phones Samsung now makes. Uh, It just went live. We were just talking about this. Let's run through like the list of all the phones that Samsung makes, okay? Because when they announced the S20 uh, flagships, they also, instead of phasing out last year's flagships, they've actually just decided to drop the price so people can still buy a flagship level phone, but a little bit cheaper. So let's start from there. Now, all the Galaxy phones that you can buy from Samsung, S10e, S10, S10+, Plus, S10 Lite, maybe the S10 5G, depending on your carrier, the S20, S20+, Plus, S20 Ultra, the Note 10, the Note 10 Plus, the Note 10 Lite, the Galaxy Fold, the Galaxy Z Flip, and let's not forget the Galaxy A series, which are the mid-range phones that still are pretty good uh, for what they offer you. That, if we were keeping count, was about 13 to 15 phones. It's a ton. This isn't even including like the really low-end like Galaxy budget phones, right? Yeah, no, like to be precisely clear here, like we are talking flagship-ish and above. Like Mm -hmm. solid performance. There are so many Samsung devices that are just sort of cheap and cheerful and they get the job done and they're released in markets that we'll never see. The full extent of Samsung's phone production is, is perhaps at this point just... Maybe not impossible to know, but really, really difficult. But yeah, we're looking at at least 10 premium-ish and up devices, a little bit more if you expand that definition. V, you're working still on the Moto Razor review, right? Yeah, which I feel like I kind of spoiled just by being on this podcast. Like, I, <laughs> like I feel like we've no. talked a lot about the Razor on this predominantly Samsung episode of the Engadget podcast. But yes, <laughs> I am still working on the Motorola Razor review. Spoiler alert: it is not in any way practical. So if you like things that deliver value, generally commensurate with what your uh, expect with what you expect from devices that this sentence got away from me. It's a four hundred dollar <laughs> phone in a fifteen hundred dollar body. Just like if that if that means something to you, if that makes you feel strange, then you already know you do not buy this phone. It is a motor razor. People who like flipping their phones shut on people and remember those days will probably at least want to look at it and touch it. I think. Sure, go look at it. Go touch it. Go to a Verizon store and destroy it. Just like everyone seems to have, based on what's happening on Twitter. Yeah, like there's there's definitely appeal there. I love flipping it open, flipping it closed is not nearly as easy or as satisfying. There is a really cool retro razor mode that basically just gives you, Shirley, as you mentioned earlier, the sort of uh, top half of the screen and the, the sort of phone numpad on the bottom, which looks Ooh. cool and is far and away the thing that people think is the most interesting and, and funny about the phone. But the the general experience, the act of using this phone Oof. is at best... Eh, eh, fine. Eh. It's all right. I wonder if we can expect the same from the Galaxy Z Flip, which we're hopefully going to review soon as well after you're done with so, the Razer. Yes, the Z Flip goes on sale on Valentine's Day. We're we're pretty sure we're just going to go try and buy one. All the stories that we're working on and we talked about are hopefully going to be up on the website very soon. So if you want to find out more about all of that and you know our coverage on Essential even, check out the site. Check out Engadget.com. So V, you've been on the show. You know we always talk about what we are doing outside of work that gives us life. So what's your what's your pick this week? 
this this has been a difficult week. This has been a difficult couple weeks in general, actually, just because of all the stuff we have going on. And and few things bring me the level of joy that the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen YouTube channel does. I, it Ooh. feels a little strange to be plugging another brand, another media brand, but we kind of did that all throughout the show anyway. Yeah. So we can share they, the love. Everyone, everyone in everyone in the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen, much like everyone we know in our beautiful little tech community, is just fiercely you know, talented and smart and mm. funny and generally very good looking. So it all <laughs> just crushes me in the most beautiful, tragic way. Aww. And I get to learn how to cook and make bread and stuff. So there's practical benefits too. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, a network of shows on YouTube or wherever else, I guess that will be my recommendation piggybacking off of yours is the Kind of Funny Network. Uh, they're a group of former IGN uh, employees who spun off into their own thing called Kind of Funny. And uh, I wrote about their podcast called uh, Marvel uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe in review before. And they're just a very... Um, kind of a geeky network of people uh they cover games and comics and movies and it's even life advice too they have a different set of shows for different topics and it's just a good time it's literally what our producer ben uh mentions all the time when we're talking about podcasting which is you form these like it feels like you're just chilling out with a bunch of buddies uh that are not your actual friends but you feel like your friends because you they do such a good job of making themselves sound so friendly and nice um so there's a set of uh, podcasts on all kinds of topics i'm sure you guys can find something from them that you will like i like their movie um in review series and uh, they're on twitch they're on youtube they're on spotify they're on patreon if you want to donate to them and also we're all like twitter friends now which is great they talk to me i feel like whoa hey i feel like i'm real friends with them i need to get like brad leone and claire sappitz to talk to me that's that's life goals right there well that's it for the episode this week everyone thank you as always for listening our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Chris Velasco online at... At Chris Velasco on Twitter or V, the letter V, at Engadget.com. He's got a cool email address. I've got a cool Twitter handle. I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter if you want to be real friends with me. Email us your feedback at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on literally anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. And then, hey, come back next week for a fresh new episode.